When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, this week I'm going to treat you, as I sometimes do, to a past edition of Desert Island Crisps, the format from my radio show in which I take a famous celebrity, strand them on a desert island and invite them to share the stories of their life with me that revolve around food and we chow down on usually eight items from their gustatory past. The one I've chosen to dig out for your delectation involves me and Sue Perkins, my screen wife, or one of my screen wives, with whom I never had a row and thus always worked harmoniously. We met towards the end of last year at my kitchen table in North London, fully socially distanced, and had a wonderful time. Hello, champ. How are you? I'm, I'm very well. I haven't done a sort of the roster of your achievements over the years because I couldn't in front of you list all the things because basically it's supersizes. It's, that's it. That's it. it. The career began and peaked and then ended with a dressing up Fandango. Which people still... I don't know. It sort of seems to be a high watermark, not of comedy or certainly content, but of just permissiveness in terms of alcohol. I think yeah. that's what people love is that we just didn't care. No. At all. The, um, the, uh, the, the, the clip that goes around is the, uh, is the, the cocktail trolley. The falling over, the mixing of the... I think we mixed a couple of the drinks in your mouth. Yes, and then you fired a soda siphon at me at high... At sort of, it was a very high-pressurised uh, siphon. And then I think we collapsed and a bottle of Cinzano goes. But I remember the build-up to that more than I remember filming the scene, which was the pair was just pleading with the director at around about one o'clock, going, what's in for this afternoon? And he was sort of saying, oh, it's a, it's a cocktail thing. And both of us had been drunk the night before, going, please don't make us do it. And we were really grumpy about having to do it, but within five seconds, it was like... It was... Reignited. It was... It was, it, was it the Len Dayton or cocktail book or the Esquire cocktail book? So the one... So that was just... Um, there was the, there's two things. There's the 70s cocktail scene. That one when, we, when I fall over the trolley. That's, that's in The Good Life. Do. So that, that's when we, I'm dressed as Margot Ledbetter. And so that was in a sort of spin-off thing that we did. So the Len Dayton action cookbook was when we did Supersizes the 70s. And that's the one where he writes that you should allow half a bottle of spirits per guest per half hour increase into a bottle after the first hour. And that's what we did. And <laughs> uh, we nearly died. By series two, by the we were saying, what, we'd look at the thing and say, we would say 8am call time, 8.30, Giles and Sue mix cocktails. And we'd go, why don't you put the cocktail scene in the afternoon, eh? <laughs> you make it the last thing, at least. 
But then, if it wasn't cocktails, then we're looking at sort of earlier periods in history, and it would be beer for breakfast. It would be small beer for breakfast. So my memory of that is going to see a doctor on a Monday morning for some spurious sort of format point. And he'd say, yes, your liver function is great. And then sort of 10 minutes later, you'd be in a dungeon with a chef having a sort of um, a sort of very weird sort of beef tart with 16 pints. And, and everyone was super surprised at the end of the 10-day experiment that the liver was fatty and we weren't very well. Yeah. And well, they... I remember at the end of it that you got... I mean, you came away from it with a couple of syndromes. I don't think it's to do with drinking insofar as in some ways everything is, but... And they gave you gout at one point. Yeah. yeah. You had gout at the end of one of them. Sorry, that noise is a, that is one of the cats um, in it? the litter box rustling oh, about. Yes, in the... I can just see um, sort of, yeah, mid coil. Um... They, 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 yeah. <laughs> that would mostly be a wee, I'm sure. Uh, is it not? Not, not, not from not what Mr. I'm saying, but it's all, it's all good. I'll go and fling it out into the compost. So yeah, I, you had you had a syndrome and, and, and gout, and I had yeah. I mean, they diagnosed my brain lump. I mean, that oh, was what was so. God. Now wait a minute. This is where, where I start wondering if we should go back to the beginning of your life and work through, but but. You said that, I mean, yes, they, they diagnosed your... Yeah, pituitary tumour, all benign, obviously. The subject of many a headline, albeit in vain, really, because there's, it, it's very easily manageable. But, yeah, I just remember going in, it was Victorian week, they did a hormone profile. I never had one before, didn't need to. I was like 37 or something and absolutely living what I now understand to be my best life, uh, as age has withered me. And they just took me to one side and said, oh, by the way, you've got a brain tumour. It was like... Uh, I don't have time for that because I've got a cocktail sequence. So <laughs> I'm just going to get on and just try and blank that. Yeah. Really so when strange. you fall over the cocktail trolley, it's not the booze, it's a tennis it's, it's ball a, pushing on your hippocampus. It, or... Yeah, or yeah, sort of pushing on my optic nerve. Um, but that was all fine and sorted out. And I'm very sort of grateful for it in a weird way. But yeah, what a. St- but it was, I don't know, it, 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 people like it because of the golden age of just pushing pushing what you can show on telly and now we'd never get away with any of it we just wouldn't no i think in, when i think back to the roman one i remember when well, we went to rome and we walked around sort of the outside of the Colosseum, dressed in our clothes and we ate well we didn't eat the mice but they served us the mice and everything but i was i spent a couple of days happily being a slave hmm. well not happily but i mean it was like he would look at that now if you'd necessarily no make that but that's what that's what ancient rome was Yes, exactly. Built on the back of slaves, as yeah. as, as every civilization was. Yes, I think probably now there would be numerous red flags. In fact, there'd be red flags all over it. But, but you're right, it was a bridging, a really beautiful, fun bridging moment in life where you get to do something different and new and experimental. And you're right, it sort of changed things up massively for both of us. And now I, now I go to India and uh, to sort of rural India where there's no sanitation and you go to a six-star hotel. <laughs> I know that off camera you're staying in Six Star Hotel. Yeah, you try and find one in Uttar Pradesh. I defy you. <laughs> well, look, we've let right to the end of not the end of your career. We're no, the beginning. Sorry, sorry. So look, fine. So that look, that was that was me and Sue talking about uh, the su- supersizers, which is the series that we did in God. I mean, I know it was 07 because we started because that's the year my dad died, and that's how I measure these things. Oh well, no! Yeah, you know, he was, we started ten days after my dad died. I with do the remember being that. One. Yeah. Uh, the, the, so so God. Anyway, that's not about me. It's about you. We we had we had a great time. We did those two series. We did our good life mock-up 2007 2008 2009 i think it came to an end with our royal wedding one which displeased the bbc no sue isn't dressing up as kate giles isn't dressing why up. why has sue pre- pretended she's pregnant this up, is a national disgrace up and down the mall in a horse-drawn carriage but anyway so and from that career my tv career basically i've been has been sliding downhill ever since sue's gone from strength to strength and it's all basically about travel and huge asian rivers and stuff now but let's go back and do this desert island crisp thing where you're on a desert island 
Uh, we're going to give you eight things to eat. Yes. Uh, you've provided a list of seven, which is I'm very abstemious of you. We'll come to an eighth <laughs> one at some. Don't want to be greedy. <laughs> well, we'll definitely. I'm definitely going to grab an eighth one out of you at some point. I have them. I have your your, your things here. Now we're going to try and tell tell the story of your life. Yeah. Um, I, the, the first thing that so I, I know that Croydon is. I mean, I've read your autobiography, Spectacles. We we talked about it all the time, anyway. Uh, when drunk, you know, you, yes, you, Croyd, Croydon's like a punchline for 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 people, and it's sort of for, probably for me in in, in more uh, self-effacing times was too. But yes, uh, my uh, I, that's where you begin. Is that that's the where way I the... begin? I begin in Peckham. Actually, I begin my first six months in Peckham. Born in East Dulwich General. And then we go up in the world to Croydon. I know you find it difficult to imagine that Croydon is a pinnacle, but for me, very much so. I arrive at this sort of concrete nirvana, age six months. And Croydon was always, and remains so, because Luna House is, is based in Croydon, which is an immigration sort of centre, um, was that we had all the different waves of immigration represented across the school. So you'd have the sort of second generation, third generation Irish families, second or first generation sort of Pakistani Indian families and um, Vietnamese. So, you know, obviously I was a kid in the sort of mid seventies, late seventies. And I remember um, Kim, this Vietnamese kid uh, coming in who spoke no English. And uh, we just, and we started eating Vietnamese food. She brought in Vietnamese food. So I'd have this sort of burst of colour in my sort of quite dull sort of food landscape. What was the school food like aside from Dreadful, it? apart from, the only thing I remember, and I don't think I'm alone known in this, would be those enormous tray bakes, so sort of a metre long of sort of chocolate sponge and chocolate custard. The chocolate custard never made with milk, so that sort of thin, watery texture, but was bangingly sweet and would give you a migraine. And I would just queue until the ends of the earth for that. I loved, that was my favourite Maybe I'll put that in because we're owing one. Well, look, chocolate do you know, sponge with chocolate custard. That would be great because I mean the next thing looks like it comes a bit later. So I, can we let's let's say that's your first thing, yeah. the chocolate sponge. Unless you want to take Kim's Vietnamese food, which would make you there'd be a bit more, you know, cosmopolitan. But you've got some of that coming up later. Yeah, and I don't think I really knew it as Vietnamese food. I didn't even do you know what I mean? I didn't think of it in those in those mm-hmm. terms. I just thought, God, this is something different from a. What was I eating at the time? A lot of mince and potatoes. So at home, my mum was a good, solid cook. We uh, and was it particularly good at kind of make do and mend and use everything up and you know good solid principles of home economy mm-hmm. due to there not being a lot of cash around. Um, so I, I just think I'd never had spice before. I'd never had. But you're right. Let's not put that in there because we'll come to that. Let's let's go with a catering classic, a stalwart, a meter long, meter wide chocolate sponge and catering chocolate sponge exactly my recollections of, of those is that they weren't really chocolate brown they were sort of yeah. paler than that yeah very slightly mauve or it was yeah not... whatever chem- petrochemical had been poured into it it gave it a sort of yes it wasn't deep cocoa was it there wasn't it wasn't lint 70 percent or 85 no. it wasn't was there cocoa the color came from something else yes it was additives wasn't it it was just it was a probably in a premix uh bag um, poured like sort of blue circle cement into a tray and then mixed with water. But I just loved it. And all of my early food choices are about sugar. Whereas by the time we were doing supersizers together, you were sort of trying to be healthy. The show made it very difficult for you. You were sort, you were a vegetarian, although you used to broil yes. But you would take one for the team if, if someone had yes. to. And in the end, you were the one that bit the heads off things and really showed me up. For the, but I, how, were you, have you always been eschewed meat? 
they've never been that into meat. I think it's it's now I'm properly vegetarian, and I do so because I just think it makes sense in terms of the planet and my own personal, you know, ethics, but not vegan. Or not, or... I'm a bad vegan. I, I do a lot of vegan stuff, but I I do I have honey, and you know, it's bad vegan, bad vegan, and occasionally an egg if I'm really. If I can't think of how to get protein, lots of vegans will be angry about that. But actually, if you eat a lot of vegan food, you get tired of endlessly soaked cashews. I think the vegans don't mind as well. You don't claim to be a vegan. Yeah, I think the thing is, is I just think people have to respond to their own morality and their own taste, you know. And and it becomes very tribal eating. And I, I just want to disconnect from that. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm going to try and eat what I think is sustainable and good and tasty and i'm not going to judge anyone for their food choices if i'm overtly seeing somebody enjoying food that's come from animal cruelty i'll probably get involved but other than that just do what works and also everyone's sort of biochemistry is different everyone's bodies are different some people feel they need certain things Mm -hmm. um what i feel i really need is vegetables and uh and I like, but I like, I've always liked vegetables. And I think with supersizers, it was like, I was living with a vegetarian at the time. We, we didn't eat meat, but I hadn't made that definitive link between uh, eating meat's not a good idea for the, you know, for, for what I think about the planet, et cetera, et cetera. So I was happy to bite, you know, I chewed on a pig's tail and a pig's ass and some nostrils and I had duck tongues and, you know, we had leaky spinal cord bread and butter pudding and we did everything, didn't the we? The leaky spinal cord bread and butter pudding, which they would have probably described as bone marrow. Uh, uh, yeah. butter pudding, but equally people would be disgusted where instead of butter, it was. I mean, to me, that's one of the. That's a thing that I've eaten when restaurant critics sit around saying, oh, I've eaten. I, this one knocks them dead every time. Yeah, it, well, I thought it was delicious. Although the way later when one went back to the pan and saw the way that the fat had congealed basically back into a cow, like solid, yeah. it was quite it was carvable, wasn't it? But you, for, to, to go through a life as a vegetarian, sort of almost vegan, bad vegan, you feel you can. You you know, people can't say, but you haven't tried the good stuff because you have eaten everything now. I, I, I genuinely think that, that, that apart from you, you know, and, and, and maybe Jay, I could sit down with a lot of food critics and match them in terms of what I've, what, you know, what I've gone for. And if I go away and stuff, I'll always try uh, the local food up until a point where I committed to vegetarianism. I would always say, yeah, well, whatever's going as long as it's not dog or it hasn't been electrocuted or horribly mm. massacred. There's a there's a mate of my Ollie who's a sound recordist who goes on a lot of my travels and he plays a game with his mates and they order for you so one person will order for the for the for the rest of the group and they're not allowed a choice and he once got served a microwave toad and I really think that's that's the line that I wouldn't cross. Um, look, we're back to now to your part of your life and that you were in Croydon and that kind of living. Listen, you've got I, I noticed next on your list I see. Viscount biscuits. Now you must know what a Viscount biscuit I, is. I, Are you too posh for a Viscount? Well, I, I, I've, I've played fives with one or two Viscounts, but I don't know about. No, I'm not that posh. But I've, I don't. I mean, I'm not sure. Ben's not posh, and he's from Stratford, and he hadn't heard of a Viscount. But he's oh, young. He's like yeah, properly child, twenty-seven. Well, he's literally like sort of Titian little baby. He's like yeah. a sort of <laughs> tiny man. He's just barely. He's fetal in his, in his magnificence. Um, Viscount biscuits were. For me, an almost unattainably posh comestible. And they would come out high days and holidays. Usually, if you were lucky, you'd get a penguin. You'd get a six-pack of penguins. That sort of, again, that sort of mid-brown, pallid thing. And they would had different colour wrappers, but they all tasted the same. Yeah. So there was this sort of illusion that you that the red might mean a strawberry or a blue, or the blue would mean a blueberry. But no, they were all the same. But a Viscount, individually wrapped green and silver foil which when unwrapped revealed a disc of 
uh, sort of chocolate ganache, I suppose you'd call it, and you bit in, and there'd be a mint filling. Yeah. Oh my god, I can taste it now. I, it's that sort of sort of dribble response has been kicked in. Uh, yeah, and they'd be just that's the that was the prize. Are they around now? Because I think you you looked, didn't you, Ben, and you couldn't find them. I think probably they've been banned. I mean, like most of the food of our childhood in the seventies, they contained sort of things that aren't really available and allowed now. Yeah, I think, you know, they're mass produced and you know under. In laboratories, I think. I don't think any natural. When they took reason. the tartrazine out of Kiora, I lost interest. When it, when it, if it doesn't glow in the dark, you can't drink it. No, exactly. But I used to come home from school and I, I would regularly. I don't know what you did, but I would regularly eat half a loaf of nimble bread with jam. Nimble bread, but which yes, I remember the nimble bread around. But I mean, but that was low calorie bread or something, wasn't it? I don't know what it was, but you could basically take a a, a loaf and and. Crush it in one hand down to the size of a sort of almost pea. Mm-hmm. It was mainly it was a bit of yeast and a lot of hot air, um, and crush it down to the size of a pea, and then it would spring up again slowly. Yes, yeah, sort of reform. I mean, it was awful. Well, look, we can eat some because the next thing on your list, uh, which was the second, but it's now the third. Now that we've taken as the first one the insipid chocolate, chocolate roll and the Viscount biscuits, you've written white bread under the grill with sugar and cinnamon. And I've got some white bread, and we could. Have, I mean, you don't have to eat it, but I, yeah. it's always quite good it, when, if, when we sort of actually cook and have these things. Now, you call it poor man's French toast. Yeah. The only other thing is, Kitty literally, my daughter, had French toast this morning, and there's some egg left over. I could make French toast, but you don't really eat egg. No, I, I, I eat egg. I, I'm bad vegan. So I just I don't a eat. Bit of French toast as well. Yeah, why not? Rich man's French toast. We can compare. So, this is something that my mum did. So, it is. On the grill, pappy white bread. Grill it one side, so it's a you know a mid a mid golden. I'm not making toast then. No, you can grill. Oh yeah, you've got a grill. I don't even have a grill grill anymore. So you do one side norm, just just normal grill, and then you flip it over. On the other side, you put a mix of a bit of brown sugar and cinnamon and a bit of butter. A bit of butter. Little yeah. So um, what I would do is mix up a little bit of sugar and cinnamon and then dot a bit of butter. Well, yeah, I had Claudia Winkleman criticising my buttering the other day. She like Marmite on toast. And she was going, no, 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 no. She was furious because the toast was too toasted or had gone a bit cold. Oh, no, I like a good colour on toast. Yeah, just do whatever. Just do, just do. Um, so just dot it or spread it? A little bit. Spread it, might as well. Spread a little bit. Much. Not too much. Because you want the cinnamon and the sugar to be the... And then you want to melt the sugar. Okay. I'm going to put a bit of this on well, As a caveat, I haven't eaten this since I was about 10, so it could be absolutely disgusting. Quite slightly burnt it? That'd be alright. Is it okay? Is that the sort of... Um, no, no, that's burnt, but let's, <laughs> let's go for it. Come on, is let's it, just eat it. It's, 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 it's all good. Yeah, that's really burnt. How would it not be burnt? It would not be burnt if you hadn't burnt it. <laughs> oh, that hasn't worked, has it? But you know what? Sometimes you have to go back and you have to just face down the fact that the food you ate was just awful. Um, have a bit of, a bit of that, a bit of the actual French toast with some cinnamon. Oh, just a, yeah. That might be better. This is what you were eating while I was eating. Yeah, that's good. That's better. Mm. Mm. You made it right. You made it right. But oh, the next God. thing after the <laughs> chocolate cake... The Viscount biscuits, the white bread under the grill. We come up to crumpets. Now I've got some crumpets, so I mean, I'd... let's get the crumpets on. Okay, right. This so Marmite. This, where, 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 when, when in your life are we talking about? I 
become quite... I, I don't know what this is. I re, right, I recently got this, probably is no surprise, diagnosed with sort of um, suspected ADD. And I, for I me... The oh, God, what, what's the learned helplessness that you, that's come over you? Well, it's quite a tough packet. Oh, I'm not, do you know what? Annoying <laughs> I was hoping I could open that in one go and... Stab at that. There you go. Who knew? Um, some useful sound effects. They can use that for the archers and stuff. We've got a really good <laughs> foley. Yeah. Go on, go on, go on. So I. I'm going to put it in the toaster. Is that correct? Yeah, perfect. Quite a good colour on them. Don't 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 insult me with a with a sort of pale crumpet. I've already insulted you with a dark cinnamon. You burnt my mother's favourite recipe. Just destroyed her reputation, her culinary reputation. Um. Crumpets. I went through a phase as a student uh, of eating crumpets, and um, th- I remember that being hangover food. Crumpets were hangover food, but also something that rooted me to <clears throat> childhood. So cheap, sugary, white, carby-based nonsense. But Cambridge was the place where I first tried an avocado. Right. Never had an avocado before I went to university. I'd never had a sun-dried tomato. I'd never had Chinese food. This is where you and I differ, I think, I think because I know you had a much more of a sort of metropolitan kind of... I would have been one of those terrible people at, well, I mean, I wasn't at Cambridge, but at university, who was going, never had an avocado. No, <laughs> Perkins, you've never had an avocado. I mean, that sort of thing. God, I'd have been horribly bullied by you and hated you. No, I'd have been fallen in love. Yeah, true. Um... I remember my mate Nicola, her dad took us out for Chinese and I had um, my first crispy duck and pancakes. And I thought, like, this is a brave new world. <laughs> this is an extraordinary... Ben's actually gone into a coma listening to this. Ben's sort of... He's powered down. So your first Chinese and what do you have? You had crispy duck? Crispy duck. Uh, sweet and sour pork, obviously. Mm. Obviously, I mean. Uh, you've got to try it. And then I had the crispy seaweed, which I've still remained obsessed with. Yeah, which with it's not seaweed, you know, they used to say. Yeah. I didn't care what it was. It was salty. Basically delicious. kale. It was, God, it was so good. Why well, you haven't put that on there, have you? Well, I should have done. Oh, we weren't allowed to talk about it without again. You know, you're, it's extraordinary. I mean, the ones that are coming next are going to make the crumpets and the white bread toast look like the healthy options. But this is just all... But yeah, I, look, I eat a lot of good food and I'm a pretty good cook and I'm super healthy. But these, you... you a bit more. These are... A bit more. Yeah. Have you got any Marmite? Yes. Probably... Has everyone else chosen really posh food? No, no. Like, did Rob Rinder sort of say, oh, you know, I, I'm... Gonna... He get caviar. Rob wants a caviar. Oh, God. Zon had a pucker pie. Oh, God, yeah. Um, you want to just... No butter on mine. No, I'm just going to marmite. You no have butter on yours. Okay. You've got to have just marmite. Yeah. Okay. There you go, old school. Is that old school? Yeah, for me, yeah. I just... I never liked... I just liked Shall the marmite. I let marmite. you do Yeah, marmite? come on. Let me do I'm the marmite. Oh, lovely. I would probably have had jam. I'm surprised you haven't quinelled that, Mama. <laughs> Hard to quinelle. Hard um, to so quinelle, there, You're going to have just Mama on there. And yeah. You need nice yeah, I do love a crumpet. I bet you don't allow yourself crumpets these days. Your body being no, a temple. No, really. Body's a temple. Oh. She's a reassuring crunch. Mmm. Crumpets are cheap. They connect you to home and family. And I was a student... And occasionally I'd go out and have these amazing meals and, you know, I just, you know, go to a trattoria or you go to a, I don't know, even a pizza was like, I don't know, I can't tell you how narrow and restrictive my food world was until I, until I left home. That's not to say my mum wasn't a good cook, but it was just, 
very narrow bandwidth of sort of meals and cuisines and 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 I have experimented hugely, but I always come back to a crumpet. Always. When I'm sad, I have a crumpet. Really? So there is definitely no, you are self-medicating with, yeah. with your food. Without question. If I feel low, I'll go and buy a pack of crumpets. And I, I am lucky; I don't feel low that often. Otherwise, I'd be even porkier than I am. <laughs> but um, it's blissful. It's a blissful foodstuff. We'll be back with more Desert Island Crisps after a short interlude. To get more from The Times, why not treat yourself to a subscription and we will give you the first month free. Just search thetimes.co.uk forward slash Giles Corran has no idea. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volure xc for important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I feel like I've been watching, I was watching, it was first of all light lunch and then became late lunch. Yeah, so we did, we'd done bits and bobs of French and songs. We wrote for them in sort of 95, 96. How come? Was it Footlights? Was it thing? No, we'd done a, um, we were doing sort of sketch comedy, which wasn't hugely in vogue at the time, but just on the tail end of us doing sketch comedy in Edinburgh, you start to see brilliant acts like League of Gentlemen and uh, Matt Lucas and uh, David Williams were decided to pair up and... Uh, Zander was doing stuff. There was, a, there was suddenly a sort of resurgence. And you and Mel were doing 
Yeah, we went to Edinburgh every single year. We would we would ply our rather limited wares there and and, and see what happened. But we we did some sort of um, characters that were Canadian post feminists who were just sort of so radical that actually they sort of became the very thing that they feared. They were sort of repulsively misogynistic and narrow and awful. But anyway, uh, the Mariella Frostrup show, picture, little picture show, I think it was called, used to do movie reviews. And they asked us if we'd uh, basically review a wedding sort of movie, a Hollywood schmaltzy wedding movie, as these characters. So we got in full wedding gear and then did this ludicrous sort of sketch. And Jennifer Saunders watched it. And she watched it and thought, oh, I, you know, something about those guys. I don't know. I, I want to sort of see what they're at. So I got a call, no mobiles in those days, not a landline call from, I just said, who's it? They said, it's Jennifer Saunders. And I went, oh, I can't say what I said because we're, you know, this is a, this is a radio station, station with sort of decorum. But uh, I swore a lot and said, that's the worst impression I've ever heard. And I thought it was my mate Sarah Phelps doing a, doing a bad impression of Jennifer. And then Mel phoned me about 10 minutes later saying I've just had Jennifer Saunders on the phone and I realised that I'd put the phone down on this sort of <laughs> iconic human. And then we started hanging out with them a bit and wrote for them and uh, they, would, they always just mentored us and they were very generous and they remain very generous with their time and support of young female talent, actually. And I remember gigging and Dawn would always turn up or Jennifer would always turn up and they would buy a ticket and sit in the back of the stalls and they'd come and see you afterwards and say, well done. And they were just very important people in my emotional and career landscape. And let's very briefly look why you mention it, and we've never talked about this, but when you talk about very supportive of young female comics, just in the papers today, there's stuff about comedy clubs and expectations of women, how women ought to be treated in comedy clubs and mm. new regular things. But being, it's a very masculine environment. It's yeah. The notion of toxic masculinity was not coined then. It was before all the panel shows and everything. There's, a, there's lots of issues, aren't there? There's the panel shows and the, the, the male voices and the difficulty. And there's the sort of... The sort of the Me Too stuff. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's no question that um, culturally that needs to, to change. I, I think it is slowly, it has been slowly changing. When we, were, when we were doing it, we were sort of insulated from all that because we were, not only did we have each other, and there's this sort of inseparable bond, but sketch com- comedy was much more shambolic. There was less machismo and, and it, it was just sort of, there were a lot of, queer people and a lot of misfits and a lot of there wasn't a lot of alpha posturing whereas in stand-up mm. you know I remember going to see stand-up when, when we were doing sketch comedy in Edinburgh you'd go and see a stand-up and they were all men really at the time it was only really Joe Brand kind of flying the flag for female comedy and Jenny Eclair and people and it would just be men mock shagging their girlfriends so there'd just be lots of sort of jokes about sex but then they would do lots of physical act- actions and it was all just in retrospect sort of really horrific and the mark of a good comic wasn't necessarily the quality of jokes, but how they could endure a bare pit atmosphere of heckling and nastiness. Um, and I do think that's softened and changed. And, you know, I, I don't think, thankfully, I need to answer the, you know, the argument that women aren't funny anymore when you see that they're winning all the awards and there's just the most extraordinary groundswell of female comedic talent in stand-up and beyond. But, and yeah. how, did you, how did you handle a barefoot situation of stand-up? Did you well, well I didn't really do stand-up. That's the thing. That's why I was, and I'm not a good stand-up and I find it very uncomfortable. And I find it lonely. You know, I just sort of think, why would I choose a job that's lonely when I could tosh about with you or tosh about with Mel? Or, you know, all my life's been about sort of partnerships and collaborations and, and 
playing, really. And I don't find it playful. I think if an audience wants to play with you, that's great. But if an audience has come to rip you, then they'll win because I'm vulnerable. You know, and I, I wear my vulnerability, I think, of course. slightly, thankfully, actually, more lightly these days than I used to. I think I used to sort of try and appear very tough. And, you know, but everything gets through. All of it gets through. I'm very susceptible. I'm susceptible to... You know, if I, if I, it's rare that somebody's horrible to me online, but I, I won't lie, if they are, it can stay with me for weeks. I mean, it can just stick. Occasionally, the one, occasionally someone will say, when did you get fat? And that would be like, oh. it will feel like a childhood thing, even though it isn't, because I was tiny as a child and no one would ever accuse me of being, of being large. But it feels like that base kind of insult that you would receive, that one that has no... Doesn't, they, they, there's, there's no adverbs, there's no, you know what I mean? There's no, there's no glossing of the language, it's something that's very direct. And that will just sit with me or... But yeah, I, I, I kind of, I can't remember why we started talking about oh, Twitter. Twitter. Oh, we were talking about Twitter. Oh, we were talking about when you were starting in comedy and... Oh yeah, the Me Too stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I'm no doubt that, that comedy clubs are still very challenging atmospheres. I think there's a sort of, you know, we talk about... Um, uh, and thankfully are now acknowledging sort of systemic racism in, in, in organisations and structure, power structures. I, I, I think, you, you know, equally there's, there's some structural misogyny in, 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 in certain branches of comedy. But what I do see is people very willing to, to change them. And, you know, I, I, male comics wanting to contribute to that change. So, I mean, I do actually feel it's positive. And what's less positive, of course, is that uh, Covid has shut down venues and destroyed and cut off sort of people's, um, you know, livelihoods, and 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 they they just got completely missed out. I don't know what you felt about the sort of the whole Oliver Dowden sort of last minute attempts to save the arts, but you know, there's so many people who've just got lost in the cracks, and mm. it pains me because a lot of them do the sort of jobs that I used to do and still might do and, and our, our whole kind of live comedy scene has been destroyed clubs closing every day and it just makes me very 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 sad because it's a form of righteous indignation and expression that we should kind of keep alive in these times I think yeah well, the, 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 the idea that the virus is something which particularly, you know, particularly is spread by laughing that laughing's bad so you can have a really bad gig and that'll be okay uh, but you know they, 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 one of the, the problem- no COVID would be spread at one of my gigs it's <laughs> COVID free though um, your next speaking of things that come out when you laugh is KP Skips yeah, KP Skips are they remind me of dressing rooms they remind me of uh, early to ah light and melty prawn cocktail while you, eat, while you eat a skip and see how light and melty it is I'm just going to boil the kettle for, for your next uh, healthy snack I know, I, I, people are going to be appalled at my choices. Um, There's going to be the sound of a kettle boiling and people will think that it's one of Ben's rubbish. Skips, sandwiches. light and melty as they are, and you know they are. Remind me of the the dressing room for light lunch. Um, well, Claudia Winkleman went for these Skippy Skips as well. Did she? She did. I, I tell you what, look, they are the, the Skips are delicious. I know that the next, we're going to get to the next snack and that's going to relate to your foreign travels. Yeah. While the kettle's boiling, tell us about Bake Off. Because there was the late, late lunch phase, there was all that, there was that part of your career. Then you did supersizers, and then I was all getting all excited about series four. And then you were saying, No, well, I'm just doing this baking thing. It probably. No, what are you talking about? They cancelled no. us. <laughs> they they cancelled us because we were rude but... about the royal family. <laughs> it is true, we were cancelled for being Republicans. How? What an irony. Uh, so, um, no, I just remember, so you, there were, you, we're moving swiftly along now through, the, through, through your snacks and through your life. Um, I remember we were filming, I think, the. The Good Life, it was the soi-disant third series of Supersizers. Uh, and 
you were going off to film, say, oh, it's just this baking competition. Uh, I, it probably won't. I don't know if it'll work. I don't know if it'll really... Uh, very fancy it. Uh, and I never knew with you because you, you never liked to boast or anything or you didn't want to... I think you didn't want to make me feel you were leaving me or anything. You just think, I'm just going to go and do this baking I show. I never leave you. Nah. Uh, and... Uh, well, I just sort of didn't think... It felt like, albeit a very well-formatted show, you know, it's a solid, solid format. But I just... I, I just... I just had no concept of, of, of what it was because, you know, you look at it on a piece of paper and you think... Yeah, yeah, I, I I get it, you know, and it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, they're very keen for me to do it. And at the time I was being really sort of mentored by a woman called Janice at the BBC and, and I, she, she's solid and super smart. And I thought, well, if she thinks it's a good idea, then probably I should. And also I never have, for someone who spends their life showing off, I'm not blessed with huge reserves of confidence and I do tend to defer to other people. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. And, and at the time it was very original. So subsequently... Everything's Every, modelled on Bake Off. The Great British, you know, yeah. It's the Great I mean, British exactly. thing. But this, this, the, the Great British Bake Off, this was a new name. This was Mary Berry was someone who you'd met on Supersizers. Exactly it? that. It, and suggested, you know, so it was... It, it, what, was what was difficult about it, is, is, as is well recorded, you know, we, we started and actually it was a lot more hard-edged. It, was, it, it felt like X Factor with Gatto. And... We spent, it was a travelling sort of show, the first series, and we spent the, the first week in Kingham, in the Cotswolds, and four people cried, and one person was crying about their, their, their dead dad, and I, I just was mortified. I was absolutely mortified that someone would have been taken to that level of upset by a question. And that's, let's face it, that's what happening. They'd been prompted, to, why are you making this? Why are you doing it? Why are you upset about it? And I suppose because my dad was ill at the time, and my, my dad didn't pass away till, till a bit later, but I was just very, very uh, aware of that kind of triggering, and I didn't like it. And I just sort of said, you know what, if it's going to be like this, and I'm just going to stand around watching men and women in tears, I, I, it's not something I want to be involved with. So Mel and I sort of resigned very early doors, which I, I think, is, again, is public knowledge. After series one? No, in, after day one. Uh, we just sort of <laughs> went, no thanks, it's, it's a bit hardcore for us, and it's not very nice. And we all sort of had lots of meetings, and, um, and to be fair to everyone involved, I think, you know, when you start a new project, the tone isn't always the thing that you think about, you think about the format points, you think about the cast, i.e. the bakers, and you think about the crew and crewing up and making sure that everyone's proficient. You don't really think about uh, what kind of pH, what kind of emotional pH it's going to have. And um, I, I guess that's that's what we provided. We didn't do, I mean, most of our jokes were cut. Um, but we just were kind of decent and, and wanted people to have a nice time. Because I, I do think it's perfectly possible to make a really good lemon drizzle without having to be taken to a, an emotional breakdown about your, your ill partner or dead uh, father. So your humour, which was very... was was basically to relax the contestants, create that sort of children's tea party atmosphere. In exactly that. that. I mean, we are. I mean, I, I take no umbrage at that reference because we are like big adult babies. So it's just silliness, you know, and, and kids watched it, you know. So it's just like a little bit of picture postcard smuttiness with quite a lot of silly punnage and a lot of sort of broad physical chasing each other around. So that actually it's a show that everyone can... Um, can sit down to. I remember being really struck. I was in a lift with this woman who just said, I want to, I don't know, just said, I want to thank you because uh, she was from Peckham. She said, my son's starting to get involved with gang stuff. But the only night of the week I know where he is is Bake Off night because he watches <laughs> it with me. And I just thought, that's a victory, you know? For a mum to say, one night of the week, my teenage son, who I'm worried about, is by my side. I felt really moved by that because 
I don't know, I remember watching telly with my family and you were as well, because mm. I think you did together. And that sort of, over time, is just no longer happens. I imagine your kids will be on tablets or mm. dotted across around the house, doing their own thing on their phone, whatever. But that was something that drew people together and it was just, over time, a really special... I don't think I realised how special it was until it stopped, actually. And then I... I sort of mourned it for a couple of years. Deep mourned Did you? It. So did you oh, regret... Oh, deep. Oh. I didn't regret it. didn't regret what we did. It was the, absolutely the right thing to do. It was untenable, actually, the way that the whole thing unrolled. Particularly philosophical about it now. We left at the right time. You know, and we had that, in many ways, I think, the peak experience, which was the Nadia thing, which was sort of 15 million people watching a, you know, a, a sort of second-generation Bangladeshi Muslim uh, overcome her... Um, anxiety and her personal struggles and her almost a sort of ontological crisis about being a mum but also wanting to be a self-made person you know and a career person you watched all those things come to fruition and be beloved and she's an exceptional person mm. she really is exceptional woman and mother and career woman and foodie and she just emanates light and goodness and it felt special when she won and and mary cried and then when mary cried i cried i can't bear to see mary. i mean when mary cries i just something genetically alters in me and so i spent the whole of that final trying to announce who'd won while sort of thinking i'm going to wretch i'm i'm try i'm i'm feel so like i'm going to explode into tears at any moment it was just wonderful it's very special and yet yeah. it was such a huge part of your life and yeah it really was and yet you haven't you haven't put a cake on your list of things. But then you said famously that you don't eat much cake. But you, no, you, you I did on that. Yeah. No, I haven't. I've put, for that period of time, homemade vegetable soup. Because that's what we'd eat. we go mad. I'd wake up and, you know, sort of run something through my hair and have somebody paint some makeup on me and, and put my silly blazer, usually quite stained blazer on, I'll march in and do some silly jokes. And then I would eat nonsense from eight in the morning until one, until lunchtime. I'd eat marron glacé and then a couple of meringues and then a fistful of sort of candied sort of fruit and it just on and on and on and then at one o'clock we'd sit down and they'd ask us what we'd like for lunch and Mary would say just some vegetable soup please and Mary is I don't know how old she is and, and I wouldn't ask that she does but she's an incredible fettle we've had we've had the, the, we've had the chocolate roll with the we've had the the, um, the Viscount biscuits the white bread under the grill with sugar and cinnamon the crumpets the skips the homemade vegetable soup that's six we're going now too probably I, abroad we're going abroad I've only got one more thing oh we'll find another well, well we're going to, we might have to find another one but you see I, you, you suggested some packet noodles yeah which I feel may take us to the, the soup after Bake Off is, is travel soup I mean, we might think that that's the, the the packet noodles. Bearing in mind what I've what I've made us eat today is, is something from childhood. But I never ate packet noodles. Perfect. Bachelor yeah. super noodles. Yeah. The first one I went travelling was uh, to the Mekong, and it was we did hit some incredibly remote spots where things weren't safe or sanitary. And I was not a good traveller. I was squeamish and scared and. Um, there was insects and animals and cruelty and sadness everywhere. And because I'm incredibly porous, as discussed, I would, and I would be find it all very, very difficult and and upsetting. So I remember being in Vietnam in a in a really rural part of Vietnam, and they were trying to explain that the morning fur I didn't want meat, and I was staying um, in a in a, a little hut which had a gap under the door. And that morning I heard chicken squawking and then a thud and then this sort of lake of blood went under the door <laughs> and that was breakfast. So they had chicken fur, but I 
started eating my soup and at the bottom she'd put a chicken's foot and then there was this sort of the, the, the fixer was going no 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 she doesn't eat meat and she went but that's not meat that's flavouring and it's like their version of a stock cube is they'll just pop a chicken's foot in so I thought right I need to find a way of being able to eat so we bought a little um, a little kettle almost like a drum kettle and a load of super noodles and every night I would go to the market I'd get loads of morning glory which is like a, I don't even know what that is a sort of load of yeah. sort of thin spinach um, garlic ginger all sorts of stuff some tofu I'd boil my water up and I'd um, pop my sort of aromats in with some some egg noodles some dried egg noodles and then at the last minute I'd put I don't know maybe smash up some lemongrass whatever I could get then I'd put my tofu and all my greens in let that steam for a minute and that was dinner, and that's what I had. And I'd always take a little thing of uh, soy sauce with me. So, I'd have so wait, so maybe this is too unhealthy. It's not going to evoke the, the magnificent aromatic flavours of Vietnam, but at least it's shown what you can do. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's all here for the story. I'm, I'm sort of, I quite want to put the packet of flavouring in. Go on, put the packet of flavouring in here. Let's can do I it. The There's no real chicken in there, so I'm going to eat it. You know, I don't think you'd be able to get a chicken. It's a sachet. This is the kind of thing, at best, I might expect to be handed this to wash my fingers in a, in a sort of... California crash. I love the fact that everyone's here. I just bring you down. I bring down your sort of, you know. You, oh my god! What is this horror? Well, that's what most of us eat. Um, how long does it need? To decompose on its own without us. <laughs> that's it never decomposing. Uh, add flavour sachet, reduce heat, and simmer for four minutes or until water is absorbed. Oh, the water meant to be absorbed. Oh god. Yeah. There's a real theme building. I, think I, might I mean, too much water. It's for a food critic who can't cook a crumpet burns cinnamon has never seen a pot noodle and leaves the gas on. I mean the pot, I am now getting that gas vibe you know what I mean yeah, sorry. the gas has been on for like 15 minutes with no ignition there. I think they've put in a bit of powdered parsley to oh yeah we're, no, we're, uh, not, so, made, we're not philistines I mean I put too much water so what's happened is that we've got a kind of soup it hasn't it's not as maybe too much liquid Yes, I th- but that's all right. We can dunk some of your uneaten burnt cinnamon paste. Yeah, I think that is an absolute crime against my past. Crime against memory. I don't know what's happened there. Is oh it too much liquid? It's all liquid. Right, you just need to get into the glory of this. No, but I, I'm, I'm just sort of... And do you know what? I'm quite proud of what I, the, 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 the culinary magic I wrought. And I really recommend that. You can get... You go to any market in Southeast Asia and they do these little soup kettles. Just Delicious. pick one up. It's delicious. It I've is got delicious. a feeling if I... There's quite a lot of sugar in it. <laughs> well, there you That's go. That's weird. Really? Well, just a sort of sugary back note in all the flavourings. There's certainly, there's no chicken. So although it says chicken flavour, there's no question. Well, that's why they said flavour, because yeah, it absolutely gets them off the hook. What I love is it's turned the noodles a very disconcerting shade of yellow in very brief amount of time. Water, wheat flour with added calcium, iron, niacin, thiamine, like in syrup. Palm oil, bang. Flavouring, onion, garlic, potassium chloride, yeast extract, maltodextrin, ground turmeric. potassium chloride a flavouring? (laughs) <laughs> that is, it's a poison. Potassium- Can I have a bit more potassium chloride yeah. in there, mate? <laughs> if you wanted to make these from scratch, going around Sainsbury's asking the blokes where's the potassium chloride. Yeast extract, maltodextrin, ground turmeric, I think the first oh, yeah. identifiable food. Yes. And, and that would be, to be fair, that's acid, malic acid, parsley, and black... Is that you burning your mouth on the... You're laughing, you're saying acid. <laughs> yeah, it just says acid. It's acid. literally just acid. Uh, acid, parsley, black pepper extract. So, for, so there is no chicken. gastro reflux that I've just experienced. Can I just say there is no? So I'm not. You're not busting out of no, your. No, 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 no. I, I knew that I was uh, still on very solid ground as a vegetarian eating this. 
Well, on that note, I think despite the fact that you've only managed to... <laughs> are we going to try... Are we seven. doing seven? <laughs> seven. I'm sure there was an eighth in there. What I love is eating... You go to a country and you think the food is about one thing and then you get something completely different. The best Japanese food I've ever had in my entire life, and I've eaten a lot of Japanese food in Japan. In fact, the second, the best Japanese food I ate was actually in Kyoto. The first, the second rather, was in Colombia. And there's it's fantastic Japanese chef that had met a Colombian girl and set up an amazing restaurant there. And I just sat in the middle of Bogota with Corona. So I was really wheezy while I was being told that it was altitude sickness and I wasn't to worry about anything. And had the most delicious truffled mushroom dumplings that you could ever, ever imagine. And then the day after that, I lost my sense of taste as part <laughs> of the virus. Perfect. And I always said it came back, for which I'm entirely grateful. But I just thought... If it hadn't, very glad it did, what a way to go out. (laughs) (laughs) If you had to choose one of these as your desert island, the only thing you could have on your desert island, you're looking at my burnt cinnamon toast and I'm really hoping. My mother is just furious. Uh, Crumpets, always crumpets. Because as I say, in moments of sadness, perfect little aerated rings of pure childhood memory and joy. Yeah. Well, they were delicious. They were the best thing probably about our meal. Um, <laughs> and a, with a low bar that was set. A very low bar. And a, and a very <laughs> metaphorical use of the word meal. Uh, Sue Perkins, thank you very much for Always letting me share your Desert Island crisps. I'm sorry they were inedible. <laughs> You've been listening to a special edition of Giles Corran Has No Idea, Desert Island Crisps. This is a Wireless Studios production produced by Ben Mitchell. And don't forget, you can listen to the podcast on the Times Radio app, and you can also subscribe to us wherever else you get your podcast. Esther and I will be back next week, and you can tune in for the live experience on my Times Radio show every Friday from 1 till 4. Imperfect with Rachel Sylvester and Alice Thompson, a weekly series of in-depth interviews with high-profile figures examining how overcoming the challenges of their early lives shaped the people they've become. This week, award-winning actor, playwright and director Kwame Kwe Amar describes his childhood growing up in the Southall Riots, changing his name after tracing his ancestry back to Ghana and becoming the artistic director of the Young Vic Theatre. I'm seeing what I would call postmodern blackness all around me in terms of art. People who are just creating because they need to create, not creating to comment. Just the art itself will do the work for them. Past Imperfect with Rachel Sylvester and Alice Thompson. Kwame Kweama, in his own words. Now available as a podcast. Listen on the Times Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 